Hi, and welcome to Gonzarilla. This is a podcast about music, movies, comedy, all forms of excessive consumption. My name is Brian Bentley, and I want to welcome you to the very first installation, the launch of this podcast. It is our nascent effort, and I want to thank you for being here, and I wanted to back announce a song you just heard that was called Fuck Youth. The band's called Super Bean. They were formerly out of Silver Lake, California. However, Super Bean is no longer. But fortunately for us, we have the mastermind behind that band, the guru, the uh, creative force behind a lot of classic Silver Lake bands from the 90s, including Hill of Beans, Bean, Super Bean, and one of my favorites, the Abe Lincoln Story. Would you welcome to the show, please, Steve Moore Marco. Hey, Brian, thanks so much. Honored to be uh, at the launch. Yes. The launch pad, very <laughs> exciting. I wanted to tell you that this interview has probably been, I think I've known you for almost 30 years. I think this interview is 25 years in the making. I never <laughs> <laughs> I never was able, able to do a, a print interview. You did a print interview with me regarding uh, tagline writing back oh, in the 90s. Right, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we were talking about some of the movies that, that I'd written taglines for and nobody had ever done that for me. So I want to return the favor. And uh, first opportunity I had, I wanted to do a podcast with you because I think launching a podcast is a great idea right now because nobody's doing it. <laughs> yeah, you're a pioneer, Brian. <laughs> I'm <You're> a pioneer. <laughs> third wave of pioneering, but you know, hey, that's all right. It's it's a good time. Everyone's chilling yeah. out. Hopefully, if you're a creative person, you you are totally stockpiling product right now. Um, what have you been up to, man? Tell me uh, tell me what's new, and we'll get oh, into. Oh gosh, uh, well, I mean, yeah, Super Bean is quote unquote no more in a certain sense. I mean. I had a little trio of Freddie, me, and Rick, and that imploded back in November for a variety of reasons. But uh, Super Bean sort of just basically collapsed upon myself. If I do perform again live in that format, I'll probably just use Super Bean because both those guys were not the quote original members anyway. How did, how did you guys, how, can you talk about the various, um, you've used the word bean over and over I again. I know, I know. And I, when I first met you, I think it was 91, and we were standing on the sidewalk outside of Jabberjaw, and I think uh, Dick Tit, featuring my uh, good friend Carlos Cake Nunez, I have to give him a shout out in every podcast. But um, Hi, Kit. <laughs> Steve says hi, but... Um, you were you had some hill of beans flyers and you were on the street and I just remember thinking this guy's super energetic and uh, he's got a lot of energy and can can you just talk about what that was like in 1991 and and just like just what you remember from the days before uh, everything broke you know before. Uh, yeah it was kind of just a crazy time uh, exciting for myself as well um, before. First had the band Hill of Beans. That's where all the bean imagery comes from, a folk band that I had. The joke was, you know, you don't amount to a hill of beans. We're the hill of beans no one else amounts to. But it was kind of funny at the time to be called Hill of Beans. It turns out, ironically, there was a, a folk band in Australia also called Hill of Beans, but they were a Christian band. 
we mm. had our song Satan lend me a dollar. So I think even in iTunes, it's a little mixed up sometimes. And was that your first hit, so to speak? Yeah, that was that was the first sort of big hit. We had a couple songs on a cassette that we sent to KXLU that were actually kind of really they started playing a lot like out of the blue before before saint limited but when saint limited dollar came out i was pretty stoked you know this was before obviously internet and and the cd was just coming out so we were debating should we put it out on a you know album or cassette or cd but Luckily, we, you know, there were so few CDs coming out at the time that all these college stations had these brand new CD players, I thought. So they certainly got to listen. And, you know, it had a unique, catchy thing. So we sent out like 500 CDs, hand stamped them all, like did bulk mailing, did this whole thing, sent them out ourselves with a little, you know, postcard, self-addressed stamped envelope saying, hey, did you get it? You know, what number are we at, you know, and got them back from, I still have them all, like <laughs> different number three here, number one, like you guys are great. Like people really, you know, the college stations were really into it, but it was, uh, we didn't have a label or anything. So it was hard to tour and that's a whole hill of beans right You're there. Right. But anyway, 91, uh, I think, yeah, it was, that was kind of a weird time for me because then, Hill of Beans did break up and we, you know, we were right on the verge, you know, and it was just me and my friend Dave and he just had other ambitions. I, you know, I, I don't blame him. He went to Spain for a year. He wanted to uh, study abroad. And I mean, everybody knows these rock stars when they become, when they become rock stars, like when Beck, who you knew and who you played along with and, and, and hung out with, what were these guys like when nobody knew anybody? Beck was was a, always really talented and really really mellow and f super funny and we we had some really great times. I remember he came to Hill of Beans show and had the mailing list, but he put his name back in the address just question mark. You might get some I, money on eBay for that. I don't know. <laughs> you know, but uh, anyway, you know, he was he was eager uh, to just start playing and. I finally ran into him recently in December. I hadn't seen him in like 15 years and it was great. And I really wanted to see him because he got into Scientology as we all know. And, you know, frankly, it kind of bummed me out personally. I mean, the thing was, I thought it was interesting. Obviously you guys were tight enough that you appear in uh, the mime makeup in the Beck uh, video loser right. which has 125 million views wow. and i i'm just curious uh do you remember that shoot because it's one of the greatest greatest shot and edited uh, rock videos ever well that's steve haft who is who is basically invented you know that sort of his own genre and style and uh -huh. really helped give back or at least let beck showcase his personality they just fused and created this um great video and obviously the song was really memorable um and it was it was one of those it just happens i don't know how to i can say it happened to me a tiny bit with satan lend me a dollar and a tiny bit with fuck youth but like you know obviously loser was such a 
huge to see it sort of take off like a, a you know a tsunami wave and just sort of watch back surf it you know was awe-inspiring it was just awe-inspiring did, did you guys did you guys do an in-store with him at Aaron's that I recall before. I, that, that was sort of the funny story. Yeah, for Mellow Gold. Right, but um, he he hadn't and, he hadn't hit big because I had seen him opening up for the Smithereens at the Palace a few weeks earlier, and there were like twenty five people in the audience back at the front. Open for the Smithereens. Yes, really? yes, he did. He did. Yeah, and I, I just remember that it was this situation with. It's not too often when you have you have a friend or an acquaintance or somebody you know pretty well and they go from like you said from like zero to a hundred in just like overnight did right, you feel but, feel like that gave you an opportunity to maybe get heard more because you were well, part of that well uh you know it was a double-edged sword i mean i it, it, the, the the problem was with back was that we did a split seven inch with back on one side and being my quote new band after hill of beans you know so, and so it was a little hard because obviously we then became the the flip side of the uh the single uh, he was so talented and is and is talented and uh there was never any like bitterness or anything you know as or lasting bitterness i'm just saying you know obviously i was frustrated at the time but it wasn't like his fault or let's fast forward a couple of years because the, there is something that if anyone's listening to this, and I'm hoping I'm hoping we will get some uh, listeners that know you at some point and can identify yeah, with this. Well, I, I hope so, or I hope not. I don't want to you know, say, what did you say, man, about me? Hey. The thing was, here's the thing. What I remember, like one of the fondest memories I have was the energy that you put into everything, the way you would ceaselessly self-promote. And, and I mean, like in, in a way that, that was not, not irritating. I mean, it was literally like oh, this guy's, this guy's ambitious. Yeah, there, there's a fine line and I have been accused of. Let's talk about something that, that everybody listening to this who knows you will relate to. And that is the incredible Fourth of July barbecue parties that you had at the Rockplex, I, you know, and I I, I, I want to say that like there's several videos from the '97 show that I have posted on my. And I got to do a plug here for uh, Bentley BT. That's my last name B E N T L E Y, BT like bacon tomato on YouTube. Bentley BT on YouTube. It is you guys 1997 doing right. Grand Funk Railroad American right. Band, uh, get high and go yeah. to work, and right. then I also shot. Um, I also shot Possum Dixon doing Sex Beat, the uh, Gun Club cover, and I think Ward Dotson was playing that day. Right. Those parties, yeah. you never knew. You might see Crispin Glover run down the stairs with a briefcase and a, and a trench coat. It was unbelievable. You know, it was definitely, it was all accident, really. I mean, I didn't really even, the first 4th of July was uh, some some girls who one of the girls who lived there had some friends they wanted to do a mud wrestling thing <laughs> and so that sounds like, all That's right cool. yeah it was you know it was it was pretty epic that was the first one and and i kind of weaseled my way into playing because i'm like hey you know i live here now because i just moved i want to have you know and they were cool and so so we played and then i think we had a few other shows back when you could obviously have bands and so like no one would 
like called cops. Right, right. Uh, and then it, and I think that was Fourth of July. And then I mean, how many did we do? Three or four? I can't. Remember. I, I think but, I recall ninety-five, ninety-six. 97 98 i think yeah, nine, I, 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 99 it was 99 fuck you played oh, somewhere right. i think that was either t- yeah, uh, um, that was yeah, like the last one know, it was a time and it was a place and i was glad to be a part of it and i i don't know quite what to say about it yeah it was fun it was a lot of work but it was also just a lot of playing, trying to get shows. You know. We're talking, we're talking pre-internet here. So we're right. talking a situation where everything was either email, which was actually kind of a, a new thing, and and right. word of mouth. Some, mostly, mostly, yeah, mostly, uh, mostly telephone lists. Right, right. And uh, you know, flyers, and yeah, yeah, and that was real. You'd have to call your friends. Hey, uh, I'm playing, you know, and then they have to be like, uh, yeah, okay, maybe I'll, yeah, I'll write it down. And you knew that or not. <laughs> well, let's talk about cut. Yeah. Let's talk about Cutfoot. Cutfoot was. Oh was yeah, Cutfoot. Right? Of course, that was the pinnacle. The, cut, uh, Cutfoot, by the way, was a, a three a three one zero phone number that you called, and there'd be funny messages, and there'd be I sort of. It still exists, does it not? I, I, I does Ozgang still still run that, or I know I he was doing know. it for it's, a while. It's been going on, supposedly still going on. But anyway. But anyway, it's really hard to describe to the average person what this was like. That there would be 150 people in this backyard, and it was it was really it, like that was back when the scene was so strong. And I remember saying to Carlos and some other people that. The, the reason this works so well is the amazing attendance and how many people show up and, and, and like the loyalty factor. So it, yeah, that, I mean, it was, it was great because everybody had just moved to Silver Lake. Right. So everybody's in the same area. The rent was cheap. Rules were kind of lax, obviously. Uh, neighbors and, were cool. Uh, neighbors were neighbors cool. Neighbors were cool. There were, there was maybe, I guess, as even before Spaceland and, you know, the clubs opened up, wasn't too many places to play because of the earthquake and then everything changed. But yeah, I, it felt exciting to be uh, in that, in that time. I mean, of course, because you're seeing people, oh, they just got signed or, this, you know. You had so, a couple of people that went on to big, you had a couple of bands that went on to really big success. Am I, am I, am I correct that played there that got rec- recording contracts? Oh, uh, I mean, that band Czar, they played there. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> Great, didn't happen for me, but uh, <laughs> in my own backyard. But what are you gonna do? Yeah, it's in, literally uh, in your own backyard. Yeah, no, uh, I think Czar was the only one that I knew about. But do you yeah. do you think there's what do you think there was about the Silver Lake thing? I mean, I hate to say the Silver Lake scene, but I mean, the L.A. Times did a story in the calendar section where they 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 uh, did a everybody on the cover do you remember that one i think oh yeah i yeah i I wasn't there for some reason i can't remember what happened but But, uh yeah i i just remember that all of a sudden it was sort of like seattle i mean like record yeah it was you know i think it was special because we were in it and we were doing it and uh, everybody who was involved, uh, I can't say it was as amazing as, say, like Manchester or, like, you know, or, or uh, you know, Liverpool. Like, but you know, there are a lot of great people that I met. And everybody's writing songs and rehearsing and really honing. 
everybody's just vying to get the, the contract and, you know, the, so, I mean, I'm not saying it was like negative vibes, but there was definitely that edge to it too. So. The first thing that, th that I think of is Lutefisk and them right. si signing to A&M. And then right. as I recall, they were dropped uh, before they started recording or do you remember? I don't, I don't yeah. know. I don't really know, but you know, I mean that, you know, that's the saga of so many bands, you know. You know, the other thing is, I think you were one of the first guys to start doing residencies in a local club. Is that correct? Uh, well, I mean, I, I did convince Mitchell to let us do the uh, Monday nights. And he kept saying from the beginning, he's like, I'm going to get other bands. And I'm like, well, just let us go. We're talking about Spaceland right now, right? Yeah, Spaceland. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I think we ended up doing like two, two and a half months. Uh, yeah, that was great. I have a little poster of it. It was, you know, it was very, it was hard to get people to go there. They used to have all you can eat spaghetti there. there. <laughs> I was like, can you imagine sitting at Spaceland eating spaghetti, all you can eat? watching the Abe Lincoln story. I thought it was a winning combination. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you also you also did a pretty famous residency at the Onyx on Fridays, is that right? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, famous again. Uh, it's my first podcast. I need okay, to come up with right, better adjectives. Famous, okay. <laughs> infamous, it, I don't know. Infamous, notorious. Uh, yeah, it was notorious in the sense it, I was, it had a hill of beans and then we broke up, became bean. Uh, and then I did being in Power Pop for a couple of years. It was it was awesome. But then I felt, oh, I want to do, you know, more eclectic, whatever that was, kind of, you know, like sing songs in Spanish or, you know, do right. a disco song. And, and then there so was. So I decided that that's when, but so I decided to start from scratch. And luckily, yeah, uh, the Onyx, the. Michael, I think Whitmore, who was booking there, just I just said, "Hey, man, can I play here on Fridays?" And uh, he was like, "Sure." And so, I think I only did like one, one or two Fridays where it was just me playing songs, and then I instantly, you know, got a bass player, a stand-up bass player, trumpet player, guitar. I was playing guitar, like an accordion, like also on all these people, kind of came out of the woodwork not a, uh, i knew some of them in different capacities but we there was for me exciting hey yeah this could work and just do it live every week like hey okay this is what we practiced or didn't practice check it out and it was very raw it makes rehearsals uh, pay off because you have that instant uh, payback and you know you can see how it, how it works I guess it's, it's sort of a live rehearsal. <laughs> and yeah, it was, you know, in certain, it had its charm. But then we, then for some reason, we got switched over on it. There used to be another Onyx um, in called, the, I think it was just called the Onyx Echo, where that Spain restaurant is. Yeah, yeah. And so they had a bigger space. And so they were like, come over there. And that's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to embarrass Rob Z, but that's when, you know, he, well, he wrote a book about it, so he can't be embarrassed about it, but he was doing a lot of drugs at the time. And we were playing, the crowds were just kind of rowdy anyways. It's very free form. I would say, you know, it was maybe 
50% music and 50% chaos. Well, know? there was a show you guys, there was a show you guys played nude, right? Which is your guitar. Well, it was wasn't you? me nude. It was <laughs> Rob basically turned around and he was naked playing the bass somehow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, and I'm sure, I'm sure the, the female audience didn't mind that at all. Uh, We're yeah. talking about Rob so, Zabrecki, Rob Zabrecki, lights, by the way. Yeah. From Austin Dixon, who has a, a book. He is, he, he has a book about uh, the Silver Lake. Um, have, have you, have you read it? I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah. 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 It's very, it's great. It's, it's really compelling. I, I'm I, glad somebody wrote a book about it. It's nice yeah, to, uh, you know, I don't, yeah. And then they turn out the lights and I don't know, it kind of, there were a few times when we played that things just got kind of, you know, out of hand. There was just that vibe, you know, we were all young. We were, uh, again, had cheap rent. There was a lot of people coming together in that area similar to, you know, I'd say hate or Laurel Canyon or well, like any other yeah. scene where they start out where it's cheap. Yeah. You can hang out all night and just, you know, write songs and jam. And, you know, so that, that was super exciting. And you guys actually played on the Friday night that uh, Kurt Cobain died. I know that may not mean much, but oh, I... that's right. Right. At, at the, I think that was the night when he was uh, naked. I'll bet you anything. Well, I just remember being in the parking lot and having watched MTV all day long and just being incredibly right. bummed out. And yet then oh, I yeah. saw you guys and you guys made everybody just feel better. I mean, I, I remember that distinctly. Really? And yeah. which show was that at the Onyx? That was, that was at the, the Onyx. I think the original, the, the, the first Onyx. And the, the uh, one on Vermont. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember having people over at my house afterward. And it was a crazy, everything was so great. Yeah, and then that happened. That was like... The hardest part to me about being in the music business, even though I've never had a band, would be to me to deal with the the egos, the the, the issues that come up, the the problems, the financial hardships, yeah, whatever, having have okay. touring and stuff. And you've managed to just like keep this continuity going. And one of the ways you've done it, and you know, is with some of your videos. And I want to talk about a specifically a video. Uh, that was actually an, an early pre, I wouldn't say it's PC, but it was, it was basically a, a oh. video that had to do with, uh, with the environment. And yet you managed to, 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 I guess, invade a convenience store or a grocery store and, and do this song called, I don't, what's it called? I don't need a bag. Is that the name yeah. of it? Yeah. Can you, can you talk about that shoot? And cause it's an amazing video. Oh, thank you. That was great. That was, um, that was done in Lincoln Heights. And my girlfriend at the time, Bridget, helped me out a lot. She convinced the supermarket to just let us film there. And and they were super nice. And we did it really quick, but they they, they got sort of a, a little, you know, they, they were looking at their watch and they were like, wait, are you guys really students? Like she was like, <laughs> project. So we just took over. Uh, any good video in my mind is always about location. If you have the location, you have the video. So, well, I'm just wondering, because I know how these shoots go. I've, I've seen plenty of them. If, if basically store customers had to wait in line while you guys did the checkout scene or if, if there oh, was- Oh, no, well, there was other aisles open. We just took one that wasn't open. It was a song about how you didn't need to get a bag, that a bag was a plastic thing that, was, that wasn't good yeah, for the Yeah, I mean, it, we kind of, the song originally was more just about when you go to buy one item. You know, because right, right. you're like, 
always whatever you buy, they throw it in the fucking bag. The movement was going on. I was like, yeah, you don't need a bag. We got, we were lucky. We got some company. I traded, I don't know, somehow they used a song on the website and they made it some commemorative uh, bags, Abe Lincoln story bags. It kind of had a, you know, a small life, not as big as Satan Let Me Dollar, even fuck youth for that matter. But I, I want to get to fuck youth in a minute, but now that we're talking about I don't need a bag. I understand you have a song called I Don't Need a Mask. Is that correct? That's right. I had to update it. Well, I was going to update it with <clears throat> I Don't Need a Bag Part 2 was going to be about how you always have to get, go buy an expensive bag or the new ones they give you are th thicker now. They won't, they let, you, they won't let you in the store with a bag now anyway, by the way. You now, ironically, okay, all that's over. Yeah, the, we're back to plastic bags. Were you going to play a song on acoustic guitar? Well, that's it. I was going to play. I basically wrote the song, uh, I Don't Need a Bag. I rewrote it with the words, I Don't Need a Mask, kind of updated. So uh, I'm going to try to play it on my electric guitar. We are talking to Steve Morimarco, and he is going to play his uh, new uh, creation that has to do with some of the uh, lockdown... <laughs> How's that? Does that sound all right? Sounds pretty good, man. Let's see. Let's see how this goes. I haven't played it on this guitar. Because 
come up with your lyrics that is great stuff oh like just you know i mean if you have to it's better quote unquote if you know the song i don't need a bag because it's sort of the same structure it's a it, it's if you will a parody of my own song uh and i just had to write it i just i i, I just look around every day these people wearing masks and it just blows my mind. I mean, it's like, do you believe in the Easter Bunny as well? I mean, <laughs> what, what the hell is wrong with you? Really think this virus, if it's so fucking deadly, is going to be stopped by a little cotton mask that most people wear their noses hanging out, or you know, it's just the most it's the most psychotic thing that's ever happened. I think Bill Maher described it perfectly. When you wear the mask at the bottom of your chin, it's like putting a condom on your balls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> my, 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 a friend of mine is like, this is a boon for the homely, I guess. You just wear a mask. He's worried about his teeth. So he's like, I, I just wear a mask. I'm like, okay, I guess there's upside to everything. You know? I, I think it definitely enabled some of the looters because nobody's going to notice a guy wearing a mask. You know, well, of looting. course. <laughs> I wanted to get into the politics thing, but I, I definitely want to address the um, biggest commercial success you've ever had. And that is a song called Fuck Youth that we're using as the intro and outro. Uh, you, that is a song that is, like a lot of your, your stuff, sort of possibly absurdist in the lyrics and, and sarcastic, sat satirical, but it has a riff. And your Rickenbacker, by the way, the tone you were getting out of that was just amazing. Um, yeah. But it's one of those songs where the video like becomes the song almost like beck's loser you know what i mean it's just like the video so damn 
it's called Fuck Youth, by the way, and anyone wants to check it out, it's on YouTube and wherever you get your music. But you told me that was completely shot and edited on an iPhone. Some of it was, but it was as, as it might as well have been an iPhone. I mean, it's a really cheap, uh, you know, $100 camera or whatever. And we, we had an iPhone there too. So th there's a mix. I mean, you can't tell. I mean, nowadays, you know, that's the amazing thing about these uh, phones. It's funny how the song just comes in. I noticed that right on a smash cut, like right, it comes in just like, obviously it was edited tight where you had been jamming and then it just comes right into the first verse. So it kind of smacks you in the face when it comes out, which is right. great. Right, that was, that was, you know, that was part of the luck slash idea. Not necessarily equating, I'm just saying, sometimes you get lucky. So in this case, I felt like the song, it starts right away, the title is Fuck Youth, it was instantly engaging to obviously a certain demographic, you know, it's over say 35 year old punk rock people from all over the world instantly saw that and were like, wow, you know, I literally shared it one time. I swear to God, some people were like, how did you do that? You know, I wish I could bottle it and do it again, but uh, it just, it, you know, the, the factors, it was just the right message to the right people at the right time, and yeah. Did you produce the song? Because it, yeah. it sounds like it It sounds like it was produced by Ed Stasium or something and mastered by George and Marino. We, we, we did the record with Mark Delton, who's an amazing engineer, and definitely had his sauce on it. I mean, uh, it was sort of a collaboration uh, mixing-wise between me, Freddie, and Rick. They definitely uh put their stamp on it and i feel like yeah it had a really good sound um classic sound just rickenbacker through the um the box amp you know um nothing special it, nothing to you know just it just it, it slammed it was great i love it the video to me for one thing it looks like part of it was filmed like in some sort of a abandoned field or something in, in east it's l.a just, it's just behind, uh, you remember where Hully Gully was? Or yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, they have, a, there's a tower right there, and I just looked back. Again, it's all location. So I was like, there's the perfect location. So we did, we shot about 90% of it there, and then it was, I was lucky enough to uh, convince a few parents to have their kids come down there. I'm like, you're okay with your parents? Your kids saying fuck you they're like yeah no problem so uh they probably didn't realize the kid and uh yeah it went off like a rocket and it's about like six hundred thousand views on facebook wow. yeah um, i mean the thing is the thing is also i was looking at the comment section that's in there and i was amazed at how many people from like all over the fucking place like all over the planet yeah, were, were yeah, it's that classic sound yeah they were responding to it and i I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you were necessarily saying, saying fuck you. You were just making a comment on people that just, you know, they text instead of phone call. They, they have a... I mean, my, my, it's more about youth, meaning just the fuck youth as an era of our lives. You got your whole life ahead of you. That's what I was mostly saying. So yeah. I was trying to say at the end, you know, Kids today are a target market, you know. Everything's uh, tailored to them, to the youth. And I said, fuck youth.
Yeah, so, right. Exactly. Know, people, but obviously, I'm also touching the button with the texting and you know all that. And you know, yeah, it, it struck a nerve. And so people like simple. You know, things are familiar. It's kind of comfort food. I mean, I, I I think it's original yet familiar. So, uh, and it was and it was a little a great little platform for myself to. Uh, sell a few actual vinyl records of Supreme. Well, there's there's nothing as good as a popular song that sort of hits the nerve at the right point. And I think one of the, my favorite parts of the video, other people have mentioned it, is the is the older guy going around in the motorized wheelchair who says, "Get off my lawn." Who who was that guy? And how that how that? That's uh, that's Rick's father, Richard, uh, who sadly passed away about a year after that. So it was kind of like bittersweet, but he did live to see that it went viral. He, so he was, an, was he an actor or is that just some no, guy? No, no, never acted before. Wow. So that was his debut. So that was pretty exciting. He was a great guy. We became friends. And I had a lot of time, so Richard would call me up. And um, I'd go over there, we'd smoke weed, hang out, you know, and... Uh, and then I ended up writing a song about him because uh, that we recorded, and hopefully I'm going to put out some more Super Bean music, you know, both with the guys that... Is, is, it, is it still too early to talk about? It, was it just that the, the band broke up because you guys were so good? Was it just kind of like people just kind of get burned out and, and just want to move on? Or is it... it's, we just had different, you know ideas of whatever I, it was just too much work for myself i looked around and i was just like you know this is too much work and the 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 return on it emotionally was was unsatisfying i mean part not completely to do with the band but more about setting up shows and the playing the shows promoting the shows and, and so and then and then and now then all this shit now there's gonna be no live music anymore anyway no punk rock clubs you know so that's the first thing i say when i was telling someone about that i was going to be doing this interview with you and they said are you guys just going to be talking about the past and i said what the fuck else is there but the past you know that means seriously right now yeah, well, when you look yeah. at touring and you look at music and it's like yeah the past was pretty damn cool so i loved it it was great there were some good times there were some bad times I, I'm I'm focusing on this new part of my life personally. So, uh, so everything that happened, I'm so excited. I mean, I know it's a bad thing to say, in a sense, but for me personally, the, the lockdown and all the stuff just made me realize, like, you know, I I I I, I gotta move. I, I can't live like this. I I lived in apartment with no yard I have a dog I mean it was okay because I worked from home and I could walk dog go to the library and you know it was chill and had some good things but all of a sudden when you know all of a sudden everything quote unquote essential basically was, when you were listing off your podcast what it's about like I was like oh gee that's it's a podcast about everything that's non-essential in life <laughs> like how they made this arbitrary thing old habits old habits die hard and what is it and like i clearly was on the non-essential side of it. well you know let's i mean i want to talk about this because i when i first uh contacted you and we were talking about doing this 
you said, hey, you know, I'm gone. You know, I'm 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 in parts. Uh, um, can we disclose at least uh, re in, relatively where you are right now? I'm in Arizona. I'm in a lovely, lovely town in Arizona. And if you're, if you're a friend of mine and you're listening to this, and uh, you can reach out to Facebook and say, hey, where are you at? And I'll tell you if, if I like you. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of shit that went down. I got I emotionally traumatized, lost some good friends over this whole COVID nineteen thing. Just their position on it, you know. I just can't wrap my head around the way we shut society down and all this shit. And I just can't do it. As an actor, I was starting to get back to my theater group and all of a sudden for an interview or podcast. But that's not theater, you know. I mean, theater is. Being in the same room with people, watching two people, you know, right. perform, and you know, that is done. You wrote and directed a, and starred in a, a great little movie called The The Great Intervention. Yeah, I did that about 10 years ago. Was it a sort of a mockumentary about interventions? Yeah, I mean, that's what I called at the time. I, I was like a hybrid of documentary with made up elements. Well, let me ask you this. Here's my segue to see if this is cool enough. Do you think we need an intervention now? I mean, do as far, I need no, no, no. Do we, do we as a society, as a society oh my as, God, a, yeah. as, a, as a freaked out, as a freaked out mass that jumps from one trigger to another. I, I, can't, I mean, somebody needs to just slap people. Wake up. I know I, it's, I tried, I tried to, joke about it. I tried to be serious about it. I tried to you know, inform people about it. I tried to be cryptic about it. I don't know. I, I, you know. And then a good friend of mine uh, texted me saying that I needed to have my head examined. Basically. Yeah. Well, you, know, you know, and uh, I'm unfriending you because you need yeah, I'm well, <laughs> I unfriended them and a lot of people. I, I, I went really ballistic publicly about certain messages. If it makes any difference to you, you're in, there's a lot of, you have a lot of company. I mean, Bill Maher, Joe Rogan, a lot of people that are considered to be fairly well informed uh, feel that the, uh, the pandemic, yeah. I mean, I have, I have several words that I use. I call it the shamdemic. I also call uh, uh, Mayor uh, Garcetti, Farsetti, and I also call Governor Newsom, Newsom Governor Nuisance. And I, to me, it's not a matter of like, oh, I don't want to be safe or I want to, you know, uh, I, that, I'm, that I'm irresponsible. It has to do with the trade-off between the seriousness and the consequences of the illness, which are nebulous, to put it mildly, vis-a-vis exactly. -vis like the trade-off of destroying the economy, which yeah. is not nebulous, it's an automatic, and it's happening. And if you talk to one out of four people who are out of work right now, uh, that you say to yourself, like, where does this end? We don't even have yeah. a possible uh, vaccine for 18 yeah. months and we got the mayor of the city saying we're going to stay on semi lockdown until there's a cure there's not going to be a cure you dumb yeah, shit there's, there's no cure there's <laughs> no fucking cure and i know i don't know what to say i just felt the news tightening right you know right when they said they were gonna i think it was a week into the lockdown right when they said they were gonna extend it you know the first week i was kind of like okay you know do you know do it but then I mean, although, you know, I wasn't ready to leave Los Angeles. I had, I was planning to actually have two bands. I was planning to revive the Abe Lincoln story. I had the whole band 
together. We we had one rehearsal. We were going to do a show at Highland Park Bowl, which obviously is a significant in my past as Mr. T's Bowl and a Lincoln story. And and I was also getting together with Gwen from Bean and N- we Nipper Sea Turtle. We have to AKA Nipper Sea Turtle. Yes. We were going to just sort of pick up. Because Super Bean, you know, again, the, the three of us, we had a good run, six years, you know, and wrote, did a lot of stuff. But it just it just flamed out. And so I was like, hey, and I, Gwen, I'm like, Gwen wants to play, you know. Uh, so I was gearing up for that. And then they just shut everything fucking down. And and I just, I just hopped in the car with my dog and... Put some clothes in there and took a chance on our Airbnb in this little town. And as soon as I got here, I was like, this is cool. And you know, I, I love the picture you have on Facebook, the profile picture with the uh, cowboy hat and the, and the aviator shades. Uh, some, know, guy, I, some guy wrote, it's uh, Hunter S. Mora Marco. Is that he put that on your yeah, page? <laughs> yeah, that's what, you know, I get it. Um, but, but I mean, can you tell me, I don't, I don't want to have you disclose anything too specific, but I know where you live and the town that you live is a very cool town. And do you feel like this is, is, is this, is this a statement move or is this a permanent move? Uh, well, I bought a house. So. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't have an apartment in LA and I'm basically, I mean, but it, it, it's only like eight hours from LA. So that's right. a good thing too. So, I mean, I'm, I love LA. I love my friends. I don't want to see them with a mask. I just don't want to see them. Yeah. If you're wearing a mask and you have to social distance. Okay. What's it like there? What what are people doing? Well, part of the town is cool. Part of the town is freaked out. We're the old section where all the old buildings are, the old downtown. A lot of people sort of wearing masks, but then others not. And and where I live, nobody's wearing a mask. And we got big houses, a lot of properties, and everybody's cool about it. But it's infected everywhere. What Arizona is, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of been known. I mean, people, it has a bad rap as as being, you know, gun nuts, and you know, they had a few some PR some PR gaffes. But it is definitely. I went to school at uh, University of Arizona for a brief period of time, and it's it's definitely a uh, state where they leave you alone. You know, you can just kind of do what you yeah, want. Is that? I mean, I, you know, I'm gonna say I've met all kinds of people. I don't I don't know if this how to ask this question, but are you in touch with anyone in LA right now? Uh, well, you. <laughs> yeah. I'm in okay. touch with some people. I'm in touch with a few people. Whoever wants to be in touch, uh, I have blocked a bunch of people. Well, why uh, do you think? Why do you think they're? I mean, talking about social media because, like, I I was going to do a mono podcast where I just riff on my own p- opinion on social media, but what is it that you think there is, or do you have any idea of why social media? has such a herd group think where when somebody posts something, um, they, there is kind of like, okay, this is the party line. This is what, this is what everybody's supposed to think. So when somebody posts something on Facebook and somebody writes something contradictory, there's this almost like a, a pack mentality where you're jumped by numerous people who, you know, Michael Snyder, a guy who is, uh, is, fearless like you are i mean he just says what he feels like and makes no bones about it and michael Curcio is my personal hero michael Curcio. yeah yeah well i mean 
I'm not, I haven't seen, I'm not on his feet. I haven't seen it, but I mean, what do you think it is that causes this, this feeling? It's, it's really self-censorship in a way, because if you go out on a limb, then you get the, the Facebook punishment, you know, the, the unfriended. Right, right. Well, yeah, you can literally get, you know, and honestly, at first I used to try and engage people and try and get that. And it got, I got so insane. I just started deleting. That's I liked my, my sport for a brief for time was to post something that I knew would trigger people <laughs> and just sit and wait to the comments and then just delete comments like a video game and then occasionally block. Now, you know, honestly, I'm kind of so busy with this house and just kind of. I saw the photos of your house. It's very spacious and cool. Isn't it funny how when you move into something, it's just totally clean and then it just slowly gets filled up and filled up and filled yeah, up. Something I've noticed. Really, like, I'm like, how did I ever live in like a... Can, can we talk about the comedian who lives in your neighborhood or, or is that going to... That'll uh, probably sure. idea too. You could say, yeah, you could, Doug Stanhope. Doug Stanhope is a shock, a shock comedian who, if you've never right. seen him or heard of him, he's on YouTube and he absolutely is about the most un-PC, sits there and drinks while he's on, on stage and just insults the fuck out of the audience. But anyway, he is a character, to put it mildly. Can you tell us about um, how that whole Doug Stanhope thing happened? The, the thing about where you were, can you, can you describe, like, oh, well, his well, house? I mean, that's how I sort of decided to live here, in a sense. I mean, so I knew he lived here, and so I was like, oh, I wonder where he lives. And so I, I, I think I stumbled on it right when I got here. I didn't know it was... This place is obviously like there's parking meters in front, and you know it's <laughs> it's painted orange. And stuff. Right. But next door to it is house. It's for sale. It's still for sale. Still right? for sale. Yeah. You could you. This is your big chance. You could move. <laughs> I just thought small it was interesting. Are gonna boom. The small town. Everybody's gonna, all the smart people are gonna leave the big city. That's my prediction. Do they have any live music in town, or that's they still do? They have. Well, they have this great club called Chuckleheads that I like. That's actually a stand-up comedy kind of place, but it's very. It feels very Al's Bar. Or, you know, it's just one guy with a Hawaiian shirt, Kenny Bar, and there's pinball, and it's big. And they have a little stage. They, they had an open mic. I did. I did a couple night songs. But even the comedy scene here, I'll say right away, was kind of like comedy scenes in general. They're not like, hey, new guy, welcome. You know what I'm saying? You always, they always just kind of give you like, you know, if they don't know you, kind of, you know. And that was my take on the comedy scene here. No, it's just I don't want to be in the comedy scene. So. That's a hard. That's a hard gig. It's a hard gig right I, now. I, I'm just going to try and get a band together if 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 it happens. Otherwise, I still got a drum kit, got my guitars, a bass here, I've got everything, piano, got my Steinway here, my father's Steinway here. Wow. I'm here for, I mean, I, I own this house. I, I'm going to go, I hope to go back to LA, say for a weekend, do a show. Hang out and then come back would be it would be fantastic if there's something to go back to. I mean, they keep canceling everything. It just blows my mind. They canceled fucking Hollywood Bowl season. They canceled Coachella Stagecoach. Not that I really personally give a fuck. You well, know, not that I was gonna go, but still, I mean, they are destroying that whole part of society, and they don't care. That's the thing. Like. 
Gavin Newsom doesn't give a fuck about concerts or punk rock dive bars or they don't they just look at it oh it's too dangerous the 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 landscape right now is so is so uninformed and the politicians that are making these decisions are people that are not scientists they're not they don't really the LA County public health director she is not the greatest advertisement for a health healthy looking person oh, yeah, she looks like she the covid came and left and left her you know months ago I'm so I, 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 I want to give you an opportunity now because I know you have another song that you want to play uh, that has to do with uh, the COVID. So do you want to tell us I what the song so. is? I guess so. I guess I'll play it. Okay. I, I kind of like this one. No I, I'm trying to get over COVID and I hope this song becomes a uh, at some point. But before you start, I just want to say that you're listening to Gonzarilla. My name is Brian Bentley. This is a podcast that deals with music, movies, comedy, and all sorts of other excessive consumption. But right now, the excessive consumption is panic and fear. So Steve Moore Marco has a song he wrote, and uh, anytime you're ready, man. All right. Until there's a vaccine for you 
guessed it. COVID-19. COVID-19. You are so mean. You killed my music scene. You destroyed all the children's dreams. Wow. That is that was tight. I like that. Thanks. A lot, a lot, a lot of emotions. Good go through the emotional roller coaster there. That that's what I would consider a protest song for 2020, right there. Listen, man, it's been great having you on the Thank show. Thank you so much, dude. It really uh, was kind of you to think of me and honored to launch this. I hope it, you know gets you whatever brings you personal enjoyment that's all it's all about you get to express yourself freedom that's a freedom of thought we at least have freedom of thought and freedom of ideas expressing ideas or is that gone i don't know you know the medium keeps changing i mean i've been a writer for my entire life and writing was just you know something that uh you know was everything to me and people don't read quite as much anymore so you have to take your message and uh all sound bites. Dis distribute distribute it in different ways, but uh, I just think there's something about an acoustic guitar and a dude just singing. It, it's like Bob Dylan or something. It's uh, it's powerful stuff. Oh, but yeah. anyway, Steve Moore Marco has been my guest, and he is living in the uh, state of Arizona in a city undisclosed, and still out there uh, preaching the gospel and the word of truth. In, in my opinion, listen. And to whoever listens, and even if they don't listen, it doesn't matter. You have to keep, you have to speak up and. Doing a lot of living right now. So, again, yeah, thank you so much, dude. I hope to see you in person uh, at some point. I hope to see you too. Good luck in Arizona. Keep writing songs, man. All right, I man, it. I will. All Thanks, right. Steve. You take care, Steve. Bye-bye.